Hello, and welcome to The Real Writing Process. I'm your host, Tom Pepperdine, and this episode, my guest is the writer, Temi O. Now, I'm going to start this episode with telling you actually how she became a guest on the show, because Temi was a recommendation. She was recommended to me that I read her by the wonderful science fiction author, Emma Newman, former guest on the show. Now, Emma, in my opinion, is one of the best science fiction writers writing today. So when she recommends someone, you take notice, and my expectations were pretty damn high. Got to be honest, Temi just blew me away absolutely surpassed expectation. Her debut novel, Do You Dream of Terror 2? It's just one of the greatest debuts I've ever read. It's one of those books that I actually had to pause every now and then just to process like all the ideas. And it's just phenomenal. I was so impressed and blown away that I just went and started following her on social media with a view to get on the show. What I was not prepared for was Temi to immediately follow me back and tell me she's already a listener and fan of the show. I just, I've only at this point released 12 episodes and been going for like three months. So it just blows me away how many incredibly talented people are listeners. And I'm talking about you. Thank you very much. Um, Anyway, so we secured the interview. This is back in January of 2022. And Temi's working on a second novel. She's working on a bunch of exciting projects that haven't been announced so she can't tell me what they're called but I know that they're big and you're in the future listening to this so they may have been announced by the time you're listening Um, we discussed them on the show but in the abstract nothing's named so I have no idea what she's actually working on whereas you the listener probably do so this is the interview before Temi got famous. I have no doubt in my mind Temi gets famous, and I have no doubt that you're listening because Temi's now become the name that Temi deserves to be. I'm just blown away. I got to interview her when I did. Anyway, (laughs) enough of me waffling on my own. Let's have some warm waffle and laughter with Temi herself. Hello again, and um, I'm very pleased to say that my uh, guest joining me today is Temi O. Hello, Temi. Hi. <laughs> and you're a little shy there, it's all right. You know, we'll coax you out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I wasn't close enough to the camera. No, no, that's right. My first question, as always, is what are we drinking? Uh, matcha tea mm. right now. Yeah. yeah. I like mine with lots of milk and sugar. I have um, but milky. I've heard that that's like the way that you shouldn't drink it if um, <laughs> you really love matcha. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah. yeah, I think that's the same with a lot of hot drinks. It's like milky, sugary it's tea. The same with coffee. Yeah. I actually realised the thing that I like the taste of is something that tastes a little bit like a sweet milkshake. <laughs> so <laughs> if you can make my coffee taste as much like a milkshake as possible, that's what I want. And it's okay. the same with my matcha. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so maybe I actually just like the taste of milk and sugar. I, I actually, I must confess, my wife loves matcha so much that I got her to make this for me uh, this morning Aww. and it does taste like a warm milkshake so uh she's, oh, she's yeah. made it spot nice. on. she's doing it the right way yeah, yeah. and um we've got a milk frother as well so she's like i'll make Ooh, an extra frother yeah. for you that's so. the best yeah, yeah. You've, you've leveled up yeah. as soon as i got a milk, yeah. a milk <laughs> so is yeah. this your is this a, a comfort drink for you or is this what you like to drink when writing 
So I actually love coffee. Since I was like, well, yeah, like 18, 19, I had this ritual of as soon as I finish my coffee, I have to work. So now whenever I sit down, I feel like I have to be drinking something. And I guess it's just my habit. I'll finish my coffee and then I'll focus. But I got COVID around Christmas time and suddenly my coffee tasted like I don't know, like petrol, just like oh, really dear. bitter and horrible. Yeah, uh, yeah cause people say that your taste changes. Yeah. And the only thing I noticed was that coffee tasted bad to me, which was sad. But my mother-in-law had given me some matcha for Christmas. Okay. And I just, I don't know, I had it a couple of times and just felt like it tasted like pond water. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then I added lots of milk and sugar. It was like, this is the delicious comforting drink. And what I quite is that from what I've read, the caffeine release is a bit slower, so you don't mm. get very jittery. You just okay. feel alert for like a long time instead of having a, like a burst of caffeine. Especially since I drink so much of it, I'm just, I'm going to try and drink more matcha than yeah. coffee. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what's your current matcha coffee ratio on a day-to-day? How many sort of like cups? Oh, at the moment, I have maybe three or four cups of just matcha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've made the transition, but... If I go to a coffee store to work, I'll have a coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because yeah. several times I said, do you have matcha? And they look at me like, okay, princess. <laughs> <laughs> so, I yeah. mean, it's my small town vibes. I, I just assume London, it's all like that. It's all, you know, sort of, yeah. matcha and, you know, sort of 12 different milk varieties. So do you prefer to write at home? Because on your Instagram, you've been posting about your like writing oh, cupboard. cupboard. Yeah. Um, has that does that feel like your creative space now or do you still like going out when you Yeah, I actually I think this is a lockdown thing because I used to love working in coffee stores actually my favorite places are coffee stores that are in bookstores so (laughs) like the one in Piccadilly the Waterstones there I really like yeah um the top floor of Foils and Charing Cross Road are all places that like I work pretty often but then obviously like during lockdown I couldn't do it and then we moved house so I was just trying to find ways to be productive I was working in this area right now which is our living room kitchen (laughs) um but the thing is I don't know I just feel like there's just so many distractions. I'll just mm. look at the kitchen counter and think, oh, there's a chore to do. Oh, and, and, and there's, there's a Pluto. Yeah, I, I might just put her outside. Okay. Because <laughs> um, otherwise she'll keep distracting us. Okay. <laughs> Pluto is a small Jack Russell crossed <laughs> with a poodle. Absolutely adorable. It was my insistent that she stay in the room and it's come back to bite me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. So yeah, so, I went yes, it's up. distracting. <laughs> We've proven that. <laughs> yeah. I know on cue. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. So um, uh, when we moved, um, we had this cupboard under the stairs, and we'd, I'd spent ages figuring out where would be the best place to work where I had good light. And then, I don't know, yeah, in the end, I just chose the cupboard because I figured it's like the one space in the house that doesn't have to be anything else. Like if yeah. I have a desk in my bedroom, it's also my bedroom. This is a London flat, so everything has to be something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, whereas this cupboard under the stairs, it could just be the writing space. So I made it really like maximalist and gorgeous. I don't know if, it, I, I like to post it on Instagram because I'm so proud yes. of it. <laughs> yeah. I will put a link um, to um, Instagram on um, yeah. <laughs> the, the podcast and I think on Twitter we might do a, a shot of the space as well 
Yeah, I covered um, the walls in wallpaper I got from Paper Chase. Not wallpaper, sorry, wrapping. Oh, the wrapping paper. paper. Um, yeah. Yeah, because you, it's kind of not really worth the investment in wallpaper because it's such a small space. So I just have like really super floral nice. <laughs> wallpaper and then stuck lights all around the walls. So it feels like a dressing room mm. of singer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I also have a bunch, like a lot of whiteboards on the walls. So I'll write notes to myself. I'll write how many hours I've done that day or different projects. I'm working on and things like that but it, it's quite a small space but I like to think it's a bit like the cockpit of a space of a yeah. spaceship or something <laughs> yeah and I think the great thing about it is because I, it really can't be anything else it's just as soon as I sit down I feel focused if there's something in the house that I'm like oh I should do this before I write I think if I close the door mm. it will be there in an hour whatever yeah. it is that I think I should do and now that even though now I can work in coffee stores I've just got into the habit of I sit in the cupboard, I focus. It's like a bit too uncomfortable to ever relax or procrastinate it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and there's only like a tiny corner where I can put like one coffee mug so it doesn't get messy. So now I'm wondering, have I just, now I've just trained myself to be this windowless cupboard creature. <laughs> yeah, because well, I find it hard to focus anywhere else now. I, I yeah. I think a lot of people will probably be quite envious of that because it is almost like sensory deprivation, just cutting yeah. out all distractions. And I know some people like to write with soundtracks and thematic music to get them in the headspace, where other people need absolute silence. And so I think having a small space where you can deaden the outside world, especially if you're writing non-contemporary fiction, so you know your first book being sci-fi, anything speculative where you have an element of world building, you can just enter into that world. And that's actually sort of me casually leaning into my next question <laughs> of with your uh, projects that you're working on now, did you start with a character in mind, a scenario, or was there a world that you wanted to build? Yeah, oh, it's hard to answer that, talking about the things that I'm doing now. So yeah, I was like, I'm in the like final editing phase of book two. Okay. And then during lockdown, I just started, I started working on a couple of other projects. So I've made a short film, which will be finished in April. Okay. I'm so excited about it. It's from a short story that I wrote. And from that, I've been like doing some other TV work. And I've been, so I've been like writing a lot of things in other people's worlds. So that's where the world and the character does exist. So you have to try and think of a way in. Yeah, oh, well, let's, I think let's, my... yeah. let's break that oh, down. Yeah? Sorry. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, the, you know, sort of, I had no idea. And now it's just, okay, we've got a few things we can definitely talk <laughs> yeah. about. Um, so after Do You Dream of Terror 2 comes out, at the time it's released, you're still working on the second, your second book. Did that second book project start before the TV script work? Or were they uh, kind of in parallel? Yeah, so I've been working on book two basically since a little bit before Terror 2 came out onto the shelves. It's just been, it takes me a very long time to write novels, um, yeah, <laughs> which I maybe I'm just going to accept and try and write other things yeah. faster. <laughs> yeah. Back to your other question about do you start with characters? Mm. I actually feel like with novels, because Terror 2, I've written like one or two unpublished novels before Terror 2 as okay. well. So yeah, uh, and this one as well. So I, I I think I, I go into it asking some questions of myself and life. And so like with Terror 2, it was a lot about growing up. Mm. And I was thinking about how, because of the characters, they turn 18 and then they leave everything behind and they leave the whole of all yeah. of Earth behind. 
<laughs> I think I was thinking about how you lose things sort of every stage of growing yeah. up and how do you balance the kind of grief that like I'll never be a child again and yeah. I'll I'll never like have the same relationship as I did when I was young with my parents yeah. or I'll never live with my parents maybe because I'm a millennial maybe I will yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, like how do you balance like the grief with I suppose like the hopefulness the things that you gain and then also I guess for a long time when I was writing I was quite depressed and like a lot of the novel is saying I don't know they're on this journey and they suffer a lot on the journey mm. and a lot of them are asking like what's the point of it what's the point of continuing persevering on this journey when we know we will keep suffering so I think the reason it takes me a long time is because I don't have the answer I, yeah. I I write the book and I sort of like live life and then write a bit more and think about it and have it in my head for a while until I feel like I'm far enough away from the person who started the book that I can right. say something to that person yeah. <laughs> yeah by the time I get to the end of the book yeah no, I, I must admit, I, when reading it, I took breaks and sometimes my wife was just like, are you okay? It's, like, it's quite a philosophical book. I'm just having, <laughs> yeah. I'm having to, to just mull this over for a bit. Or it's getting really dark. I'm not sure everyone's going to be okay. I need to just yeah. <laughs> walk away. But yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear, you know, I had that as a reader of just, mm -hmm. gosh, what they're asking of themselves is really interesting. I'm going to stop and actually go away. And that's exactly what you had as a writer in that. I just, that's quite interesting to me. And so with your second book that you're editing at the moment, are you posing, obviously not the same questions, but are, are you posing questions about life to yourself that you're working through with the characters or is it a different style? Yeah, I would say it's a similar thing. Yeah, yeah. And also it's funny because the books end up overlapping as well. So like when I started this one, like I just got married mm. and a lot of what I was thinking about was like identity, like mm. how when you get married, you become a joint person in a yes. way. <laughs> like, I feel like whenever my husband leaves for a little while, I have to remember the person I was when he wasn't there. Like, <laughs> what did I eat yeah. then? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got married in 2020. So I, yeah, it was a pandemic wedding as well. <laughs> and, we've, and we've only been in our house for a year. And so there is that our mannerisms are merging and, you know, we're, we're just picking up habits of each other. I was like, oh my goodness, we're becoming the same person. Yeah, um, or even things like his brother will tell me a story from their childhood. And I realise I've heard it so many times, I almost remember it. Oh. And I'm like, that's not how I remember it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm yeah. thinking a lot about that. Yeah. Mm. But yeah. There's this technology that kind of merges identity in a sort of okay. way. So yeah. It's it's not in the same universe as the first book. It's a completely standalone. Um, yeah. But what I found really interesting with uh, your book, rather than just setting it in a future from us, it was contemporary to us but in a different universe where you know, Britain was involved in the space race. And I just found that was an amazing take. Is that a similar thing with uh, your latest book that it's like an alternate universe, but contemporary? Uh, yeah, I think I had a lot of fun doing that with Terra 2. I'm mm. um, just taking the bits that I liked, but trying to keep it as familiar as possible. So I'm thinking that maybe that might be a thing I keep doing, like for, yeah. for as long as it's the story. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was really interesting because often, you know, so people say with speculative fiction, it is very much a commentary on where we are now. And if you set it somewhere in the future, you're always going to get things wrong. But if you set it in an alternative world, it's like it's an alternative universe. You know, yeah. so like the 2012 Olympics were still in London 
the 2008 recession still happened, but we're on Mars and the UK Space Agency uh, sending people to another planet and it's just, it's 2020. I just, yeah, I think that's a great approach. It's not something that, well, it's certainly not a common trope it's you know i wouldn't even say it's a trope and so i i like that fresh take I, i'm sure there's people listening who are screaming other authors who do it and it's great <laughs> that other authors do it but it, it's not so common because it's certainly not something you see in popular culture he says just as he yeah. remembers the marvel metaverse but we'll ignore that yeah no no, no one <laughs> i guess it's even funnier now though because it really is the past like 2012 feels so long ago so yeah i guess like the <laughs> The more people read it, like the older it'll, it might start to have a retro sci-fi feel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I just I think um, parallel universes. You know, it's not being the central theme uh, to the book. It, it just happens to be set in a parallel universe. Is really cool. Is there anything like technology or something that was like really different that you wanted to add to the world? That's not a plot spoiler that you want to talk about with your second book. No, or you, it everything's is a plot in the spoiler. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Because it does center around technology. So if okay. I tell, yeah, so, I can't share. So okay. you can invite me back when it comes <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Well, talk <laughs> yeah. about it in the abstract then. How did your research go into technology? Do you look into engineering articles and where we are technically now to formulate that? Or is it based more on just sci-fi fiction that you've read and you want to have a tweak on something that you've read in something else? How do you go yeah. about developing it? Normally, I actually find if you try and invent some technology, you'll like you'll Google it and find scientists in Japan have done yeah. something that's more advanced than what you even thought of. <laughs> so I actually don't even try and make it futuristic. It's not I normally take something that has some scientist has done and then just extrapolate it to okay, here's a world where it's really easy to do and everyone does it. Yeah, I don't, yeah. <laughs> I did the same kind of with Terra 2, the the engine that their ship runs on. Yeah, I, like, just use things that already exist. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. With your world building, are you someone who likes to really plan out the world so you know how everything runs in that world, and your uh, story is just a part of it, or is it very much your story takes precedence, and then little bits of the world are created just to serve the story? Because I know some people do like have these expansive worlds that they then set their story apart but they really know like the politics and how everything works within that world yeah I really admire those writers who do that <laughs> that's just not the yeah that isn't yeah. the way that I go but then I think if I did a little bit more thinking ahead and planning out the world I might fall into fewer plot problems when it comes to redrafting <laughs> <laughs> but, but I only ever think about as far as my characters are interacting with the world mm -hmm. then I'll invent it but I don't think further than that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so I gathered from that as well that you, you don't plan a full outline of the story. Uh, um, I, I do outline. I'm actually, yeah, I'm pretty sort of serious when it comes to outlining. But then I'll, I don't know, I, a lot of the problems I do fall into are... I'll go backwards and say, why did the police react this way to this technology mm. when they already know it exists? You yeah. know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I know I always have an outliner. I, yeah, I outline pretty in detail. And then with every draft, I'll re-outline. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> one thing I really enjoy doing is I like reading like the hero's journey. There's yeah. this one by Christopher Vogler. And there yes. are a couple of other screenwriters are really like on it with the outlining <laughs> in comparison to novel writing. So yeah. every time I'm going to 
do another draft. I'll look at all the problems that say like my editor has flagged. And then I'll also just try and diagnose weaknesses mm. and then figure out where each of the beats hits. Yeah. I don't know, the hero's journey or something and then rewrite it according to that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, uh, for Vogue, I, I, I have read that book and I think it's a very good book. And I think anyone who um, certainly wants a cinematic style or feels that their stories are quite cinematic or want to write films it's worth checking it so yeah that one and also this one that I read um, when I was doing my master's because I did a master in creative writing those seven basic plots okay. uh, which I actually feel like was the one yes. if I could name one book that like changed what I think about what I'm doing I'd say that one seven basic plots by Christopher Booker where he basically says that every story in the world yes. is actually just seven different stories yeah. <laughs> Which, I don't know, I think certain people find, like, a heretical thought. But yeah. actually just really gave me a lot of peace as a writer. Mm. <laughs> it made me think that, like, what I'm trying to do isn't reinvent the wheel. That's yeah. not why we tell stories and that's not why we enjoy them. There are actually things that we like to hear again and again. Like, yeah. we like to hear about the hero coming back from the dead. And so it made me think that I'm just part of that tradition. And mm. I think it gave me a lot of peace, and especially as a science fiction writer, where you spend a lot of time going, how can I make it different and new? Yeah. And she thought, no, that's not my job. I'm just part of it. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so. I think I think a lot of writing, especially speculative fiction, is it's commenting either on an aspect of society or on the human condition. Mm -hmm. And I think that with uh, Do You Dream of Terror 2, it's very much the human condition. And like you were saying, it's like coming of age story, these 18 year olds. What I found fascinating with it was you have a variety of different backgrounds of these children, but they found very identifiable as I've met those kind of people or <laughs> even gosh I used to feel like that and I know that a certain element of it will be these are all like bits of my own childhood that I've like filtered into different characters but did you actually do any kind of personality studies in it because I felt that they were so identifiable and their background really informed those characters and I was like, is that just your natural skill as an empathetic person to identify people like that? Or did you actually do any research into personality types? Um, I'd say that I did. I, I think I did begin by thinking I want to make them as different from each other as possible mm. so that I can have like maximum conflict. So then I'd think, okay, so I have this character who believes that their mission is, I don't know, this. Why would they believe that? And so I kind of work backwards and think, okay, maybe they come from this kind of a background and, mm. and they have this kind of history or this kind of trauma. And that gives them this sort of motivating belief. And then I sometimes I do an edit where I just do the chapters that have a certain character. Mm. And then all the way through, I imagine this character is the main character because that's how everyone feels. That's um, one of the things that really blew me away was how that there's these fully fledged character arcs for seemingly like everyone on the crew. And it was just, you don't get to see that. It's generally, yeah, you're following through one person's sets of eyes. But everyone, they had all changed by the end. And there's definitely learnings about themselves. And <laughs> I, that was just really impressive to me. Oh, thank you. Um, so is that, with the second book, is, is there more than one point of view? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much I can say. Like, <laughs> I don't, yeah. well, I'm, I'm trying but to ask, there, like, there, are, abstract. there are two yeah. points of views in, in okay. my second book. Um, so that's I less, think, that's less than the first book. That's fewer, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I probably, that's, that's another thing I do enjoy about fiction. I, I really like it when I feel like 
I'm in one person's head and from their head I can see how they're totally mm. justified and really they're the hero and then I'm from yeah. in another person's point of view and I'm like no actually they're actually a bit villainous and maybe me <laughs> yeah. yeah um so but yeah but why yeah. they're why they are like that and why in their own heads they don't see themselves as the villain because the best written mm. villains are the hero in their own story they've just gone down a different path and I think you achieved that that was really good so I'm really looking forward to your second book that's an experience you can get in fiction that you yeah. don't get in real life just to, being in lots of yeah. people's to get you like not stressing about book spoilers I'm, I'm going <laughs> yeah. to get you to stress about uh script spoilers um <laughs> how was the transition from writing long form prose fiction to scripts because so, it's a very different discipline yeah I feel like maybe I will get in trouble for this but I also maybe I don't have enough experience but <laughs> I have found novel writing definitely harder yeah. <laughs> yeah I think it's because in a novel everything relies on you you do the lighting and the costumes and you have to explain everything about the character's inner life whereas with a script it relies on the talent of so many other people. You're just writing a recipe is my feeling. There are like skills that are translatable. You definitely need to have an understanding of pacing and character arcs. And then there are things that you can't rely on in a script. Like in a, in a story, I could have some walking down the road and a thought occurs to them. Yeah. Whereas you can't really rely on that. Show they tell. <laughs> in, yeah. In <laughs> yeah. So um, with these, because you've done a short film, which is based off your own short story. So you adapted your own short story. Did you find with that adaptation, it was just like, oh yeah, there's a lot of introspective thought process that I need to change. Or was it when you wrote the short story, the reason that you adapted that particular short story was because it was far more external. Yeah, I think as a writer, I don't actually write a lot of dialogue. I feel like now I can recognize like mm. script writers who write novels. Yeah. Um, this is one that I really j just recently read that I really enjoyed called Lights Out in Lincolnwood. Mm. Um, and the dialogue's so snappy and good. <laughs> and then I was reading about the, or the author and he also writes scripts. Whereas I don't think my dialogue, I don't know. I think a lot of my characters sound like each other. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, um, and they all sound like me. <laughs> So yeah, that's definitely um, something I've had to learn about um, yeah. while writing a script. Yeah. So um, I know some writers, they'll think of certain actors performing certain roles. And so you have that individual's mannerisms. Well, that's actually a good idea. Yeah. I'm so, I'm going to, I might take that. And yeah, I, I don't know who it is, <laughs> yeah. so I'll, I'll claim it. Yeah, but I'm, I'm pretty sure yeah. it's, uh, it's done by a lot of people. But yeah, if you just think, okay, who would play this person if this was going to be a movie who would I want to play this okay see them in interviews and because sometimes you get that with certain screenplays where they go oh I wrote it I had this actor in mind and I think they're probably sometimes where they go oh, I had this actor in mind they said no so we had <laughs> to find someone else but so, yeah when you said earlier about you know writing a recipe there's much more people involved is it a much more collaborative process going through the scripts and are you collaborating with the director a producer and who's giving you the feedback on the drafts of the script yeah definitely that's actually like the difference that I was not prepared for because like <laughs> with a novel it's just one or two people really it's like you and your editor and a lot of times the, the editors editor. yeah they're trying to yeah <laughs> in, they're, they're distilling your voice so it's mm -hmm. just oh grammatically you might want to change this or you've said then a thousand times in this chapter <laughs> but it's still your voice and a good editor should be just making you the best version of you 
scripts are not like that. Uh, yeah, and also there are lots of different considerations. Like I wrote a scene set in a school and the director was like, it's COVID, we can't do a school, no. Or I'd have, I don't know, <laughs> a crowd scene, you'd be like, this is too expensive, no. And it's just, I guess there are lots of ex- considerations that are that aren't story reasons. Like with a yeah. novel, obviously you have like unlimited budget. Yeah. So <laughs> you can set it in space, you can set it in your bedroom. But yeah, it's not like that with a script. So right. I think like learning to incorporate things that, Oh, it's not about it being a story, it's technical, it's interesting. And also just doing lots of drafts. I do lots of drafts on my own. I think that's, that is my process. Before anyone sees anything, I've probably rewritten it four or five times. But yeah, but I don't know, in script world, it's just expected to do so many yeah. drafts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And is that, an, so is that one particular writing project? I mean, we don't need to name it, but uh, <laughs> um, are you... So with... I think I can talk about that one. Okay. <laughs> that one's not a secret. Um, uh, yeah, it's this short film called Murmur, which I was directed by Simon Smith, who is a, an editor on Chernobyl. Yeah, I'm very proud of it. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's gonna. I can't wait till it comes out. Yeah. And that's coming out in April. <laughs> no, no, we'll be finished in April. So. Oh, okay. You know. <laughs> it'll be when it comes out. out. Um, sometime, sometime this year, though. Yeah. Okay, and. Yeah. With other script-based projects that you're working on, uh, are you working on a longer project or is it a creative team you're doing one script for, another creative team you're doing another script for? Yeah, yeah. So now I'm also doing an episode of a TV programme. So I'm on the in the like writer's room for that. And that's been very fun to do. I'm just really enjoying sort of like learning all of these different yeah. ways of writing. Yeah. That's, that's very cool. So with yeah. a writer's room, so... Again, being you know as vague as possible, is this a <laughs> new project or uh, like in general, like you're part of the initial writers' room, or is this an ongoing show that you're being brought into and there's a pre-established writers' room? Uh, you're asking such specific questions. <laughs> I, I feel I feel uh, like you know. Yeah, so, okay. So yeah. it's it's a spin-off of a TV show that already exists. Okay, that, that's right. That's all like. Yeah, yeah. That is cool. Yeah, so like we're not putting any names, we're not saying anyone else in the creative team so people can't like do like a guess who whittling it down on IMDb. It's Mm -hmm. okay. So these are characters that are known to you? Um, Yeah. Okay, and then you get to put your own fresh take on it and it's in a different environment. If it's a spin-off, it'll be in a different environment. That's quite Mm -hmm. exciting. That's quite cool. Yeah, I um, think that, yeah, I, I am really enjoying that. Yeah. It's interesting, like, it's fun not doing the sort of initial groundwork of like mm. building the character up from nothing, but then still trying to, I don't know, I guess find a way into the story that makes it feel like me still. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, sort of like bringing your life experiences to characters uh, mm. in the show. How is it you know, being in a room with other writers? Is it, competitive sort of vying for space or is everyone really supportive of oh let's like develop that idea more or they're like oh no I've got a better idea yeah I mean I've I've heard that maybe there are some like competitive writers rooms but I don't know I this one feels pretty collaborative yeah I'm, I'm finding it really fun I actually really wish that there was something like a writer's room for my own novel <laughs> like we'll sort of like the showrunner will say oh here's a problem and then we can mm. all just like work through solutions because yeah. we have like five minds Hmm. working on it and we'll get to solutions really quickly whereas if I have a problem I'll just yeah. sit there and 
And I'd go for a walk and bite my nails and think, oh, I'm a terrible writer. Is it, is it quite... <laughs> Until the solution comes to yeah. me. Is it quite yeah. time intensive, though? I guess if it's a, a show that's on pre-established characters, they've probably got a mindset of when they want it released. So are you mm. working to quite tight ted- deadlines on that? And how's that from you've just got as long as you want to work on your own work to we need something by Friday? How, how's that yeah. change of gear been? Yeah, I would say the deadlines are quite tight, but I think because, I don't know, there, there's just so much outlining and that we've worked out so many of the story beats together. I feel like I write a lot faster than I do when I'm just yeah. writing on my own. Yeah, um, It's actually made me think if I could somehow use this efficiency and put it in my yeah. writing, <laughs> it's made me think like maybe I'm not outlining enough because... Mm. Yeah, I could find the writing process a lot smoother so far. Yeah. And <laughs> this shouldn't be a spoiler, but I feel this will be a question that panics you. When did you join the writer's room? So how long have you been working in the, with the writer's room? Was it before Christmas? Yeah, before Christmas, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sometime in 2021, okay. Yeah. Um, is, is that quite... Uh, a lot of your time because you're now a full-time writer and congratulations for that Um, and is this a lot of your work I'm guessing the majority of your time is writer room stuff compared to novel Um, writing or is it no I would say novel writing still takes up a lot it takes up most of my time (laughs) and most of my brain space (laughs) yeah well I think that's probably a good thing that you still get that time to work on your own personal projects So that's Mm -hmm. nice to hear, because sometimes I hear people who take on a creative writing job to pay the bills and things like that, and then it takes all their creative energy, and Mm -hmm. so their their own work could suffer, or they worry that their work could suffer. So that's not the case, it's lovely to hear. But now that you've had this for a few months now, writer's room aspect, have you noticed a real change in the way that you're approaching your novel? Because you said, you know, you wish you had a writer's room, wish you had that efficiency. Are you, mm-hmm. have you had like a redraft where you've just, like, you know, sort of a draft pre-writer's room, draft post, you know, a, you know access mm-hmm. to writer's room. Was there a, a noticeable shift in how you approach the work? And is there something conscious in that that you started adding to your own work? Um, yeah, I think doing, so I've also, and this is in the world, I wrote oh. a short story for um, Black Panther. Oh, wow, yeah. It's like in a Marvel anthology. So that was yeah. another thing in another world. I think it's so, it's just, hasn't really changed practically how my writing turns out, but it's changed my perspective on it. I think before when I was only working on my novel, yeah, I get hung up a lot with problems, but now I feel just grateful for it because it, it's just my world. They're just my yeah. characters. <laughs> I'm doing it for me. When it goes out in the world, it will only have my name on it. Mm. Yeah, I think it it feels extra special to me now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And with is it the same editor that you had on your first book? No, it's a different no. editor, but um, uh, still with Simon and Schuster. Okay. And have they challenged you in a different way, or do they have a similar approach and it was just availability on the editor? Or are they quite um, different? Yeah, I find it, all editors seem to be pretty different. Yeah, because it's a mixture of like their style and if you have the same sort of, or like a similar vision for the book. Yeah. <laughs> but I've enjoyed working with both of them. Yeah. Yeah, both my editors. I'm very grateful for them. For them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and 
before working with Simon Schuster, have you had a lot of experience with editors or are these really you know, the only two editors that you've worked with? I did do uh, a master's in creative writing and the place that I did, maybe all places do this, you have like workshops mm. where everyone, there may be 20 people, they'll all read your work and then give you edits. So it's like having 20 different mm. editors. Plus we've had a different teacher every other week, like a different professor and they give you edits and then I'd write my dissertation, which is yeah. like chapters of a novel. <laughs> and then you'd get feedback on that. So I feel like I've had lots of experience with just getting feedback, yeah, before I did Terra 2. And then also my agent and another, her assistant in the agency oh. as well, also gave me edits before we even got to an oh, editor. Wow. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. so I think like 20 or 30 different people yeah. have given me edits <laughs> before I got to an yeah. editor. So how do you find the editing process? Is it that you crave the critical feedback and go, I, you know, sort of, I'm stuck, I need... Yeah, someone in that, or is it? How dare you? I need to just go away, lick my wounds for you know, sort of a period of time before going. You might have a point because I know some people hate the editing experience, but appreciate the value of an editor. Why some people mm -hmm. just go, I feel this is a pile of trash. Please tell me it's not, and you yeah, know, tell I'm, me how to I'm get like it better. I'm yeah. that person. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, I don't know, like my novel unedited is like the equivalent of walking into a party with like toilet paper on my shoe <laughs> and like an editor will really kindly get rid of it for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah. do you have beta readers? Do you have people that just act as a, a reader without going into the detail that an editor would? Yeah, I have my friends and my husband. I mean, I'm grateful for their time, <laughs> but I always do wonder how useful it is since they know you yeah. <laughs> and they also know all the work that went into it with this novel. It sort of felt like I told them and told them about this house I'm building yeah. uh, and I spent three years going, oh, I'm really worried about this house. And like now they're visiting it. <laughs> yeah. And all I want to hear is it was worth everything. It was worth yeah. the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I, yeah, it's definitely a use. It's definitely good to have those people. And <laughs> I think just, you know, my old uh, sort of faithful that we always uh, seem to go through, and I think this is definitely going to apply to you, imposter syndrome and mm. how you deal with that. Because I think if you're someone who feels that they're turning up to a party with toilet paper on their shoe, you're someone who's had imposter syndrome. I feel that's correct to say. Yeah, I think especially before book one was published. Mm. So it was like, I think I signed with Simon & Schuster and then it was about two years till it was on the shelf. Oh, wow. But yeah, which is like the longest time I've heard from other people. <laughs> so there was kind of, but they started publicity like a year in. So mm -hmm. there was like a solid year where I'd go to interviews and panels and and then people would say, and everyone's book is in the shops except for Temmie's, which you can get next year. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And also people would ask, they could only really ask vague questions because obviously yeah. no one had read it. Yeah, I definitely, especially sitting next to authors who were on like book five or six, I think mm. then I did feel a lot of imposter syndrome. Yeah, I guess now, now I'm in my house. I don't know. I don't have to feel yeah. imposter syndrome on Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so I, I think I 
I get it less, but I also have done, I've done fewer events, so yeah. I can't really judge. <laughs> yeah. So, so is that what really sort of triggers the imposter syndrome when you're around other writers that you deem your peers and you feel? I think sitting on a panel with other authors, especially mm. authors I admire, I always think, by what trick of fate am I here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had this, maybe it was two years ago now, Margaret Atwood's book, The Testaments, mm. came out. I was on a panel with Neil Gaiman, Jeanette Winterson, Elif Shafak, and A.M. Holmes. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, I was just like, I don't know. I was pretty overwhelmed. I was so yeah. overwhelmed seeing Neil Gaiman and obviously also yeah. like all the other authors. I'm such a big fan of. <laughs> and I like leading up to it, I just spent ages saying like, why did they choose me? How did they choose yeah. me? And I remember sitting next to Neil Gaiman, um, we were doing our signing. And yeah. obviously he had a line going. Oh, his cue, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's also just so sweet and would talk to everyone and draw little pictures in their books mm. and stuff. <laughs> and I am like newbie writer. Yeah. So had no one in my line. <laughs> I was just pretending I was fine, just yeah. reading through Neverwhere again. <laughs> and um, every now and then someone would look at me pityingly and say, I'm not here for you. I'm, I'm hoping he'll sign my book I don't know do you want to sign my do you want to sign his book as well <laughs> I'm not going to buy your book but maybe wow. you can write something in this book because <laughs> yeah. so, often I, I I ask people how they cope with imposter syndrome it sounds like you just avoid going out <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll just sit under the cupboard under the stairs and just forget about the world but is there a, a way that you have now that you're coming to your second book now you've worked in writers rooms do you feel in a better place? As you say, you've got a house now that you feel more justified in your position as a writer. Do you feel better able to combat imposter syndrome or is it an ongoing battle? I don't know. I kind of, the thing that I always tell myself is just like, someone chose for me to be here. Yeah. <laughs> so if you have questions directed at that person yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I'm, it wasn't a typo they're, they're not expecting an author called Remy oh, yeah. like <laughs> so that's what I always would I always told myself and like I was telling myself when I was sitting next to Neil Gaiman I was like I someone chose this so yeah. I'm glad yeah. <laughs> yeah and I think I, I get it less when people have read my book because I feel like we're talking about something. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess everyone gets a bit. Yeah, um, and I, you know, sort of, I, I think even with Neil Gaiman, I remember sort of reading, and I know, it might be one of his very lengthy introductions that he does on his uh, short story books, but it was about, he was at a big event and he was stood at the back with another man called Neil and they were just like, why are we here? I don't know. It's just like, I just make stuff up for a living. And he goes, yeah, I just did my mission. I just, I just did what they told me. Um, oh no. And it was just like, so if Neil Armstrong can have imposter syndrome, then I can have imposter syndrome. And it's just, yeah, I think everyone can have that's why they're being there. But like you say, you, you were picked and it's just remembering that. This is what I was saying to one of my friends as well, who gets it in her job. I was like, they hired you. So that's why you get to be there. Yes. It's not about you and how you feel. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) And another thing I wanted to talk to you about was, uh, I read an interview that you feel very uh, monogamous about your ideas that when writing a, a book, you're very much, you're focused on that book. Because sometimes you get writers who have like a thousand one ideas 
at any one time. Now that you're working on various projects, how's that balance? And now that you're also that you're coming to the end of a book that you're editing, is it quite easy to sort of, okay, I'm in this room, I can forget about the other things? Or can you be in a writer's room and go, oh, I think I might use that. Um, oh, no, I think, no, I find it hard. I, yeah. I feel like this is my problem. <laughs> it's, I, I can only really focus, and I need like a period of time to focus on something. So I can't even say, oh, in the morning I'll write this, and in the evening yeah. I'll do this. I'll just have to, have to say, when I get to the end of this script, then I have to forget about everything else I'm writing right. while I write it, and then I can go back to whatever else it was right. I was writing. <laughs> yeah, I still like that. I feel like I have like an antenna out for inspiration mm -hmm. but I can't do that for like multiple projects I can only yeah. do it for one thing <laughs> yeah so yeah oh, that's interesting so if you just go for a walk and you think oh yeah an idea might drop in your head it's almost like an idea has to drop in your head but I can only attribute them to this one I feel like it project. won't come for another oh, thing right. <laughs> yeah I feel like I, I will say to the world, give me ideas, please, for this story. And those are the only ones that come to me. Okay, yeah. so this is a walk for this project, and I'll go on another walk <laughs> yeah. for that project. Yeah. Um, get, your, your dog gets about eight walks a day as you're just working for a second project. And yeah, I was wondering, you know, with you editing the second book of it in its final stages, have you got anything for after that? Or is it just, no, get this done, and then I'll start, speculating yeah about in, in between edits um okay. in like gaps between edits ideas have definitely come to me and oh this is a fun process thing that i do enjoy okay. doing so i like playing sims 4 and i get like ideas for characters and then i'll try and build them and i also like to build the homes of characters i, yeah. I guess it's my way of i'm technically procrastinating but i like to say i'm also <laughs> working on my yeah so I've had some ideas for characters for a book three. Mm -hmm. okay. um, so I'm excited for to start working on it when I can. Yeah. Oh, great. That's good. Cool. Mm -hmm. it uh, it's currently in Sims 4. We'll be on the page soon. <laughs> yeah. um, so I'm going to go on to my final two questions. And it's my belief that writers continue to grow and develop their writing with each story they write. Is there anything that you've learned from book one, that you're now applying to book two or something from the writer's room that you're very conscious that you're applying to your second novel? Yeah, I would definitely say with the writer's room, I really feel like just the importance of outlining. Like I thought I took it really seriously, but we map out every single beat. Um, and I've just seen how much easier it is to work out all the plot kinks yeah. before you've written I have 50,000 words <laughs> and then you encounter them. So I've def that's definitely something that I'm thinking I'm going to try and remember to do. I think working on a script has probably made my dialogue better. I always thought that I'm not a very funny person. I think just because, especially with Terra 2, it's so sincere, I think. <laughs> like, it gets quite dark. Yeah. It does get quite dark, yeah. <laughs> yeah and my characters they don't really make that many jokes they just say mm. what they think but I don't know I, I feel like I've been quite funny in the script because I think like the IP is sort of like yeah. so I I don't know I think I'm going to try and take that confidence okay. into my writing yeah my characters can sometimes joke with each other yeah. <laughs> yeah I think from what I've gleaned from what you said about the book to where there's two people I think if it's a couple, either friends or romantically, and you're recently married, then you've got those little intimacy jokes where it's not like a, a standard person walks into a bar sort of joke, but it's just 
little quirks of the human condition, the little tropes that people have that mm. are quite funny. And I think that's a, a very common thing of uh, intimacy when you have mm. two people like really living close together. And I think there's a lot of just natural humor and comedy that can come out of that. And I think if, yeah, there's a blending of people or personalities in your book, then I can see a lot of comedy in that. Um, <laughs> you know, just like naturally coming up as well as trauma <laughs> and conflict. <laughs> but yeah, well, I look forward to it. I really look forward to uh, Funny Temi. <laughs> and obviously we've mentioned uh, Christopher Vogler earlier, but is there one piece of advice you find yourself returning to and applying to your own writing? Oh, now you said the thing about Christopher Vogler. <laughs> it reminds me of the end of the writer's journey. He talks about, he talks about shaman. This might seem really grandiose, but this is what motivates me. He talks about how the shaman has to go back from the dead and then he comes back with something and it like helps his community. And that, I don't know, I felt like it really motivated me about what I do as a writer. I think because you end up going into dark places or you end up facing self-doubt or just like battling your ego and reading that kind of just told, I guess just reminded me why I think that it's worth it because the world is richer for all of the art that people make yeah. and it's not going to be an easy journey, but that's part of it. And that's, yeah. that's why it's valuable, whatever it is you bring back. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful uh, thing to end on. And I just like to thank <laughs> you, uh, Temi, for being my guest uh, this week. It's been great. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. And that was the real writing process of Temi O. Oh. Isn't she great? If you haven't read her book yet, I demand you must. It's one of my favourite science fiction books this year. Temi is a talent and you need to read her now. Of course, if you've listened to this episode because you're already a fan of Temi, then thank you for staying on for the post-interview ramble. You may have heard a rumour I have an epic outro song, and it's completely true. However, it cost me a fair bit of money to licence a theme tune, so I hope you consider sponsoring the show. I really don't want to put on ads for website building services or subscription food and drink. You deserve better than that. But yeah, if you donate £1 or more, you get access to all the brand new episodes weeks before they officially get published. And I'm currently recording a bunch of bonus content, mini interviews with authors I've met at live events. So if you'd like to support, the link is in the show notes and you get access to all this extra stuff. And that's everything for this week. Stay safe. Thanks for listening. And may you always keep writing until the world ends. Time can never be your trusted friend or your sworn ally. No, it's the harshest mistress of all. And life is just a chain of moments spent, a thousand hellos and goodbyes. Maybe a love like ours can leave out its call. 
seasons come and pass One after the last And along we go The shift and pull up the tides